All right, there's a couple of things you need to know about me before we go any further into this podcast, be it this episode or the podcast in general. First off, there's nothing I like more than starting out an episode with a crisp, cool, ice-cold can of Diet Mountain Dew. Not a sponsor. Oh, yeah, that's the good stuff right there. Second thing that you need to know about me is that I am a huge fan of the Wheel of Time series by Robert Jordan. I am such a big fan that I have been talking about it quite a bit lately. I really haven't talked about it much here on Just Another Fanboy because I haven't read the books in a great long time, and I've just started rereading them, actually listening to them, the audio versions over on the Audible. And uh, what prompted me to do that, of course, is the new Wheel of Time TV show that's coming on Amazon Prime Video on November 19th. Now, the reason I bring this up is because today's episode is about the Wheel of Time. It's actually about the very first book, The Eye of the World. Just last week, I did an episode over on The Streaming Fool. For those of you who don't know, I do a another podcast called The Streaming Fool. You can find that at thestreamingfool.com. And that's a podcast in which I talk about all the TV shows and movies that I watch via streaming services. And I focus mainly on original stuff. So I'm not talking about just any old movie that might show up on freaking Hulu or something. If it's a Hulu original or an HBO Max original or whatever, I'll talk about it if I watch it and enjoy it. Anyway, I did an episode last week about The Wheel of Time because they put a trailer out for the show and I watched it and I just had a big fanboy blowout in my brain and I had to talk about it. And then this week here on Just Another Fanboy, I'm talking about The Eye of the World, the first book in the Wheel of Time series. And then next week on Just Another Fanboy, I have something that's also Wheel of Time related. And uh, I'm not going to spoil it. It's rather special. I'm going to be bringing somebody onto the show. I don't want to release, release. I don't want to talk about who that is just yet. Just in case, you know, it doesn't happen. It falls through for some reason. Know that it's not anybody who's directly involved in the TV show or the books in any way. Uh, Just a fellow fan who is out there creating stuff and they have created something based on the Wheel of Time, something that I freaking love. So we're going to get together this weekend and talk about what they created. We're going to talk about the books. We're going to talk about probably what we're looking forward to most on the show. And uh, so, yeah, consider this kind of my countdown to the Wheel of Time. but. Most of my talking about the Wheel of Time show, of course, will be over at the Streaming Fool. So, I don't know, I just felt like that needed to be said for some reason. Everything that you're about to hear, everything after this part here, was recorded a couple weeks ago. I actually finished the first book a couple weeks ago and immediately sat down and recorded my thoughts. And uh, as I was putting it together, I just figured I should probably say something because... If if you follow everything I do, for example, if you're over there on everything or else, the only feed you're ever going to need because it's got everything that I do, then you're you're going to be like, well, he did Wheel of Time stuff last week, and now he's doing Wheel of Time stuff this week, and he's going to do more Wheel of Time stuff next week. What's going on? Well, that's what's going on. I'm a super fan. The show is starting up next week. This is part two, you could say, in your countdown toward the show. It's kind of a crossover event with the Streaming Fool. Streamingfool.com. Here's the episode I recorded a couple weeks ago. 
going to play a little bit of a little jingly music here, and then we'll get into the episode uh, subsequently. I don't know. Here you go. One day in the early 90s, I walked into this small shop in downtown Lawrence, Kansas. It was on Massachusetts Street, located right next to the Pizza Hut, and it was called the Town Crier. Sadly, it's no longer there, and it used to be one of my favorite places on the earth because it was a bookstore, and I loved to go in and browse among the sci-fi fantasy shelves just to see what would catch my eye. They say that you should never judge a book by its cover, but we all do it. And I just went in one day and I started browsing and looking and checking out the books. And one particular book caught my eye that day. It wasn't what I would consider at the time to be a typical fantasy book cover. It was fully painted like they were back then, but I was used to painted covers by Larry Elmore. You know, Dragonlance type covers where you had the heroes on the front doing something heroic like battling a dragon or a great big bunch of orcs or posing heroically with their sword and just looking totally cool. Well, this cover was just a group of people on horseback riding through uh, the countryside. But what drew my eye was the central figure was this dude in armor who wore what two swords on his back and one looked like a two-handed broadsword. The other one was a little bit shorter of a sword and his helmet reminded me a lot of some kind of samurai warrior. And so here I am looking at this cover and I'm thinking this is a samurai warrior with these like fantasy type giant two-handed broadswords and whatnot on his back. And come to find out the cover did not quite depict this particular character in the book, but It was enough to catch my eye, and I picked it up. Little did I know that I was jumping into a series that would take 22 years and 15 books in total to complete. It took so long to tell this story that the author, Robert Jordan, died before the last three books were written. Luckily, he had taken such copious notes and had outlined so specifically how those last three books should go that... They brought in another author, Brandon Sanderson, to finish it up. And while I have yet to reach any of those books, not for lack of trying, I'm told that Brandon Sanderson's books fit in with the series very nicely. You can tell no difference. Anyway, the book that I want to talk about today, I just finished listening to the audiobook version because I want to try to make it through this series completely this time. That book is The Eye of the World by Robert Jordan. Hello and welcome to another episode of Just Another Fanboy. I'm your host. My name is Steven. And yeah, The Eye of the World by Robert Jordan. I listened to the audiobook, which was narrated by Michael Kramer and Kate Redding, which was really kind of nice because there are certain chapters in the book that are told by the male perspective, the, the point of view, the POV character in, in certain chapters are, uh, are a man, whereas other chapters, the POV character that's telling the story, basically, that we're, we are, are, are taking this journey with, I hate saying journey for some reason, we're taking this trip with, in certain chapters, is a woman. And so they hired 
two narrators, Michael Kramer to do the male point of view chapters and Kate Redding to do the female point of view chapters. This book was 29 hours and 57 minutes to listen to. It's taken me almost two months because I don't have a lot of time to sit and listen to audiobooks. I find it's really, it's kind of funny. I find that if I sit here and try to do my work during the day and listen to an audiobook, my mind tends to get so caught up in even mindless tasks of, you know, putting spreadsheets together and creating tables and graphs and all that. It's funny because I find that if I try to listen to an audiobook while I'm working, my mind gets so caught up in the work, even if it's kind of mindless work, like putting a spreadsheet together and copying and pasting numbers and creating tables and graphs and all that, my mind still gets so wrapped up in, in, in even the mindless portion of that work that I tend not to pay attention to the book. However, if I'm listening to it in the car, I can for somehow pay attention. And uh, I spend about 10 to 15 minutes, usually a day in the car. And so I've been listening to this book like 10 to 15 minutes at a time. But I finally got it finished. I, 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 I jumped back into the series because they have the new Wheel of Time television show that's coming to Amazon Prime that I'm really looking forward to. This series, which is called The Wheel of Time, is literally my absolute favorite fantasy series in the world, even though, again, I've never finished it. Let me let me try to explain. So back in 1990, I run across this book, The Eye of the World. I sit down, I read it, I fall in love with it. I wait until the next book comes out, which was November of 1990. Heck, the second book might have already been out by the time I read the first book. The third book comes out in 91. They tend to come out fairly regularly after that. But I found that as I got further into the series, so, for example, book number five came out in October of 1993. Book number six came out in October of 94. And then book number seven came out in May of 96. So around that time, I finished book number six, for example. And then when I get to book number seven, I start reading and I've kind of forgotten a lot of what happened in those previous six books. So I felt I had to go back and start it over. And that's exactly what I did. I started over. And I read all those six books in a row, read book number seven, and then book number eight didn't come out until October of 1998, over two years later. And again, when that book came out, same thing. I felt like I had to read the books over. And so I read through the series a third time. And it just kept happening all the way up to Crossroads of Twilight, which is book number 10 that came out in January of 2003. At that point, I had gone through this series about four or five times, and I just, I stopped. I just, I got distracted. I, I just didn't feel like I could go, go back through it again. So I wanted to wait until the entire series was finished. It didn't finish until the last book came out, Memory of Light, in January of 2013. And at that point, I just never got around to, well, well, I would, I would start the series again through audiobook and I would get a few books in and then something would distract me. And I would take so much time between finishing one book and starting the next that it happened all over again. I just felt like I couldn't move on because I couldn't remember everything that happened. And certain characters were not, you know, that may have been introduced in the previous book. I, I couldn't remember them. So I had to start it all over again. And eventually 
after doing that a couple more times, I just I just kind of stopped. But now the new series is coming out on Amazon Prime. I want to try this again. So I just finished Eye of the World. And gosh darn it, I want to talk about it. So what I'm going to do here, which is what I do a lot of times when it comes to a big story, I don't I, I, I don't think I could sit here and take you through a synopsis just off the top of my head. So I'm going to take what they have in Wikipedia. I'm going to kind of start reading through it. And I will find probably that as I'm reading certain things to you here in this podcast, it will, because I've already read through this plot, the plot that they put in here is three paragraphs. Three paragraphs does not adequately describe what happened in almost 30 hours of story. So I will be inputting my own memories of the book as I'm reading this. Now, let me first introduce you to the main characters. Our, our our actual first main hero character, his name is Randall Thor. He is a shepherd from the two rivers. This is where we first open up in the book. He has two very good friends, Matram Coffin. We just call him Matt. He's also a shepherd. He's from the two rivers as well. Um, and then Perrin Ibarra, who is a blacksmith's apprentice in the two rivers. They're from a, a little village called Emmons Field, which is so far removed from many of the big cities in this in this world that they don't, you know, news, as far as the way news travels in this world, they're pretty much the last ones to hear it. And they get news of what's going on basically once a year when a peddler, when a peddler comes to town to, you know, with his wagon full of goods to uh, sell them the things that they may need throughout the year. There's also Egwene Alvear. She is a uh, kind of the love interest of Rand, sort of, in this first book. She is the daughter of the mayor of Emmons Field. And we have also have Nynaeve Almira. She is the wisdom of Emmons Field. Basically, she's like a, a healer slash, um, you know, think of her as the doctor of Emmons Field. But she's also supposed to be able to listen to the wind and predict weather that's coming up. And uh, she's she's kind of a uh, a leadership figure along with the council. There's a council of elders, basically the the like the mayor uh, and uh, various uh, other men uh, sit around and they they make decisions. And then there's the the woman's council, I think, as well. Um, she has the youngest wisdom that's ever been chosen for Emmons Field. She's just a little bit older than Rand and Perrin and Matt and, and uh, Egwene, who at this point, you kind of get the idea that uh, Rand, Perrin, Matt, and Egwene are teenagers. Um, because as the book opens, it's winter's night, I think is what they call it. They're, they're about to have the, this, this festival. Think of it kind of like Christmas. And it's a big village festival that they have every year. And one of the things that happens during this festival is that women who have come to of, of age braid their hair to show that they are now of, of age to marry. And Egwene has reached that point. And she is, uh, during this, during the, the, the celebration, she will braid her hair and then they will do this. There's a, some kind of ceremonial dance type thing that they do around this pole. Anyway, we don't get to see that in the book. So I'll get to why here. So let me just start reading from the plot here. The Eye of the World. So the Eye of the World revolves around protagonists Randall Thor, Matt Cawthon, Perrin Ibarra, 
Egwene Alvir, and Nynaeve Almira, after their residence in Emmons Field is unexpectedly attacked by Trollocs and a Myrdral. So here's where I'm going to deviate from what they're talking about here. So as the book opens, we meet Randall Thor and he's with his father, Tam. They are there. Uh, Rand's mother has passed away. They have a sheep farm out in the country. They are traveling the main road to Emmons Field uh, for this celebration, this festival type thing. Rand at one point sees a man off on a hill watching them and seeing this man gives him this very deep, dark sense of dread. And he also notices that the man is cloaked and hooded, so you can't see his face, but the cloak does not move at all in the wind. The wind does not make the cloak move in any way. And when he tells his father, you know, hey, there's a guy over there watching us, Tam looks and the guy is gone. Well, Tam just kind of laughs it off because they are, they're coming out of winter, right? It's supposed to be the last days of winter. Spring is supposed to be coming, but winter has lasted longer than it normally does. Crops that should be growing are not growing. Um, it's, it's just, it's kind of a, uh, kind of a poor time in this area of the country. And so they get to the village. Um, we meet Matt, we meet Perrin. We also learn that there are some visitors to the village. There's a, a gleeman named Tom Marilyn. A gleeman is like a traveling entertainer. He has a harp and a flute and he tells stories and he juggles and he sings and they wear these cloaks uh, that are that have uh, different colored patches all over them. And everybody's really excited about the gleeman being there. There's also supposed to be fireworks this year, which is a huge deal. But there are also two strangers in the village, a woman named Moraine and a man who's accompanying her named Lan. Moraine seems very ladylike. You know, she's she's described as as the, some of these kids who are who are telling Rand about the stranger in town, the, the lady Moraine. She's she's a rich lady, and Lan is a is very much a warrior type, and he has a sword on his back, and he's the guy that you're that I we see on the cover of this book, but he doesn't wear all this armor, and the sword that he has is more of a katana. Basically, there's a lot of Eastern influences in the story of this book. Well, Tam, after the, after talking to uh, some of the other adult men in, in the village, find out that other boys of about Rand's age have talked about seeing this man off in the distance with a cloak that doesn't move. Rand, after talking to Matt, finds out that Matt has seen this man as well, and they have plans to tell the mayor about it, Rand and Matt tell the mayor about it in the morning. But after Tam, his father, speaks to the mayor and some other elders, when normally they would stay in town for the night so that they could be there in the morning when the celebrations start, Tam says, all right, we need to go back home. We'll, we'll, we'll come back in the morning. But as they're, they're heading out and they're back on the road, he tells Rand that basically they're going back home because he discovered that Rand is not the only person that other boys of his age have seen this man in the dark cloak uh, off in the distance watching them. And he wants to get back to the house just to make sure that everything is okay. Uh, while they're home, his dad goes up into his room and he hears him uh, pull this big trunk out from under his bed. And when his dad comes back down, he's got this sword 
strapped around his waist. And Rand is just, his mind is blown. He's nobody in the two rivers uh, or in Emmons field, much less the two rivers have ever uh, thought of owning a sword unless they were a member of like the, uh, the watch for one of the larger villages in the area. And his dad has one and it, 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 it kind of, kind of blows his mind. Well, they are suddenly attacked by these creatures that they refer to as Trollocs. These are big, muscular, animalistic type creatures. They walk on two legs. Some of them have regular feet. Some of them have hooves. Uh, some of them have uh, like wolf heads or wolf faces and uh, ram's horns and, 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 and big eagle faces. And, and they're just this amalgamation of horrible, terrifying, monstery type creatures. And they attack the cabin Nobody, Rand has never seen a Trolloc before. They know that they're, that they exist up north in what they call the Blight, uh, and that there was a, a war at one point called the Trolloc Wars, and, but they've never seen them. So, so of course, Rand is, is, is terrified. He and his father, he, he manages to, his father basically distracts the Trollocs. Uh, Rand gets out of the, the house and he goes out into the woods to hide, uh, he Tam eventually joins him out there, but he finds out that Tam is wounded. Um, and Rand has to take him back to the village, uh, where he learns when he gets to the village, the village has also been attacked by these Trollocs and these things called Mirdral. Mirdral spelled M Y R D D R A A L. This, the, this, this man, this cloaked man whose cloak didn't move. This is a, this was a Mirdral. This is kind of a uh, so all right so I should I should I should say real quick that in the mythology of this world there was a a guy by the name of Luz Theron Telamon. We actually open up the book there's a prelude to the book where we meet this guy Luz Theron Telamon. He is what they call uh his they, they call him the dragon. There at the time that Luz Theron lived there were two different uh types of people in the world that could use basically magic, your magic users of this world. They were called Aes Sedai, and there were men Aes Sedai, and there were women Aes Sedai. And they each touched a, uh, 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 a certain half of what they call the true source. And they, the, 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 the women, if I remember correctly, they touched Sidene, and the men t- touched Sidar, or vice versa. I can't remember off the top of my head now, and it's, it's, it's not really... It's not really here in this Wikipedia thing right now. But at the time of Luz Theron Telamon, the men uh, d- during this war with this uh, basically the bad guy, the dark one is what they call him. Uh, the male half of the true source was tainted and any man who could weave and use the true source uh, went mad and killed their friends and destroyed. Uh, they, they brought about what they call the breaking of the world. And so now as we, as we get into the present in this book, there are only women Aes Sedai and they have different Ajahs, which have different colors. And for example, there's the red Aja whose basic job is, is to find men who can touch the true source and quote unquote gentle them, which is to sever their tie to the true source. And it never ends up working out well for the man if the man uh, can touch the true source, 
he is destined to go mad and probably murder a bunch of people in his madness. So they gentle him, they sever the the true source from him. And then the man is left with basically uh, this feeling that there's this wonderful thing that he, that, that he can no longer touch. And a lot of them end up committing suicide. So there was this war with the, uh, with the Aes Sedai and this guy, the dragon, uh, who was a, uh, someone who could touch the true source and could weave the power. And, and, uh, he went mad and they called him, uh, loose there and Kinslayer because he ended up killing his family and in his madness. And, and anyway, during this war, the dark one was trapped and there's kind of this, this thing that they say all the time, the dark one and all of the forsaken, these were other men and women who were once Aes Sedai, who can touch the source and weave the power and wield the power who have turned evil and basically fought for the dark one. They were all very powerful and they called them the forsaken. And they would say the the dark one and all the forsaken are, are um, trapped forever in Sheol Ghoul, which is, you know, it, it, if you, if you just hear this, you know, what I'm talking about, the, 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 prison of the dark one and in, in, in Sheo ghoul and, and all that stuff. It sounds very Tolkien esque, right? It, it can, it cannot be further from Tolkien. I don't know where I was going with that thought. It's, it's not, it's not Tolkien. I'll tell you that right now. It's v- quite different and, uh, very, very wonderful. But anyway, so the Trollocs and the Mirdral are creatures of the dark one. They usually live in the blight. Very rarely do they come South and, and never have they come this far South since the Trolloc Wars. So they, Rand brings Tam back to Emmons Field to find that it had been attacked by Mirdral and Trollocs and learns that Moraine, the Lady Moraine, is actually an Aes Sedai and Lan is her warder, which is a, a warrior um, bonded to, to a single Aes Sedai and has basically a vow to protect her at all costs. And Lan is basically uh, uh, quite the butt kicker. Anyway, we kind of learn that she, she, uh, Moraine tells Matt and Perrin and Rand that the Trollocs and the Murdral were there for those three. There's something about them that the Dark One wants, and anything that the Dark One wants, she opposes. And so she wants them to leave the village with her, and she wants to take them to Tar Valen. That's where all of the Aes Sedai live. That's where, that's the, the, the capital of, of Aes Sedai, basically. That's where they, they do all their training and all that junk. Um, she convinces them that they have to go with her. Tom Marilyn joins them uh, because he, we learn, we learn that at one point he had a nephew that it was discovered he could touch the true source and he was gentled by Aes Sedai and, and it didn't go well for him. And he, he always, uh, he vowed to always try to help other young boys who might get mixed up with Aes Sedai. And so he decides to go with them. Um, Nynaeve ends up going with them. She actually uh, tracks them down after they left, but their goal is to get from Emmons field to uh, Tar Valen. But then for most of the book, they, they get separated at one point uh, and we get different stories from each of them. And it's, it's just a very sweeping book. They, at one point before they get separated, they, they they hide in this abandoned city of Shadar Logoth. Let me just here. I'll just I'll just keep reading from from the uh, the plot here as as it shows on Wikipedia. 
Uh, pursued by increasing numbers of Trollocs and Myrdral, the travelers take refuge in the abandoned city of Shadar Logoth, where Matt steals a cursed dagger, thus becoming infected by the malevolent Mashadar. So basically, this is a bad place to be. There's a uh, somebody, uh, there's basically dark magic that has taken over this, this abandoned city. And uh, if you take anything from it, you take this, this living evil with you called Mashadar. And Matt steals a ruby-hilted dagger, uh, thinking that he's rich now that he has it, not knowing that he, he will become infected with this, this evil. While escaping the city, the travelers are separated. Rand, Matt, and Tom travel by boat to a town called Whitebridge, where Tom is lost because a Murdral shows up to capture them, and Tom... Uh, basically sacrifices himself by attacking the mirror draw, which is something that even warders are one, one on one can are sometimes not a match for mirror draw. And, and Tom is just a, a gleeman. Um, but Rand and Matt are allowed to escape because of this. They make their way to the capital of Andor. Is that the right name of it? Hold on. I don't remember. It's the, it's basically the capital of the country that they live in. And the that's where the queen lives, Queen Morgays. So Rand and Matt find their way to Camelin. Rand ends up meeting and befriending uh, a creature called an Ogier, which is a a being that is about twice as tall as a as a human. They are very long lived. They live two, three, four times longer than humans. Uh, so they are very, you know, don't be too hasty is what they say a lot. And uh, they. They live in these areas of the world called steadings, which if an Aes Sedai goes into a steading, they can no longer touch the true source. And the Ogier are kind of bound to their steading. They can leave, but if they're away from their steading for too long, they get something called the, uh, the longing and are forced to go back to the steading. Rand meets one of these. His name is Loyal, and he is a, uh, he's a young, he's like 90, 90 years old. But he's pretty much a teenager when it comes to Ogier. And he left his steading um, without permission. And he left because he wanted to, you know, they the, the Ogier just are, are just fine and dandy with staying in their steading. They're very wise. They're very smart. They have a lot of books about the history of the world. And they're very happy just staying in their steading and reading their books and, and, and learning and all that. But Loyal wanted to get out and actually see the world. There were, uh, there Ogier groves in all the main, or there were Ogier groves of trees, uh, that the Ogier had created, uh, in, in all the, the great cities of the, of the land. And he wanted to get out and see them all. Of course, he finds that most of them are gone, but so he meets and befriends Rand in Camelin. At one point while he's in Camelin, they, they learn of this guy named Loghain, who is a false dragon. So, Every now and then, some man who can touch the true source uh, stands up and, and, and proclaims himself as the dragon reborn because there's a prophecy that the dragon uh, who was loose there in Telamon will be reborn and fight the final battle with the Dark One. So this guy, Loghain, he proclaims himself the dragon reborn. There's a big, there's war in in that part of the country where he first surfaces and he has since been captured by Aes Sedai and he's being brought to Tar Valen and they go through Camelin 
so that the queen can see. And he go and, and Rand wants to go see uh, the false dragon. Matt at this point is like almost completely taken over by this Mashadar taint, this evil from this dagger. Neither of them realize that that's what's wrong with them, but he, he, he stays in bed. He's very paranoid of, of everybody. So Rand goes out by himself and he, he climbs this wall, this garden wall. So he can sit up there and watch the, the procession of the Aes Sedai and the, the Loghain, the false dragon in his cage come wheeling by. And he ends up falling into this garden and learning that is, it is actually the, the, uh, the queen's, uh, land. It's, it's, it's the, where the, the castle is, where the queen lives. And he, he meets, uh, Elaine Tracond and her brother Gowan, the, uh, son and daughter of the queen. She is the heir apparent. She will be the queen when her mother dies. Uh, the queen of Andor. I did have that right. Um, and because he's just some regular dude who suddenly finds himself with the uh, the uh, prince and princess, the queen's guards capture him. He makes friends with them. The queen's guard gap. Cap, blah, blah. He makes friends with them. The queen's guard captures him, takes him before the queen. She has an Aes Sedai advisor, Elida. And uh, anyway, it, it doesn't seem to go well for him. And and but in the end, Morgays lets him go. Um, Egwene and Perrin. They're one of the, the, you know, when they're separated, Egwene and Perrin are together and they are guided to Camelin by a man named Elias Machera, who can communicate telepathically with wolves. And he claims that Perrin can do the same. Uh, they run into uh, a group of men called the Children of the Light. They are very much like the religious zealots of this world. They are knights who feel it's their job to go around and, and find evil and destroy it. But they tend to find evil everywhere. Just in the, your average guy, if they, somebody looks at him wrong, Oh, you are, you are a dark friend and they kill him. So that's, that's, that's not good. But they, they, uh, they run into the children of the light and parent ends up killing two of them because they kill one of these wolves in front of them. And it just drives parent crazy because parent is able now to talk to wolves telepathically and he's he's created a bond with these wolves and it just drives him crazy and he kills two of these these children of the light moraine lan and nynaeve end up uh they're they're all they're the third group that's together and they end up rescuing Egwene and they end up rescuing Egwene and perrin they reunite with matt and rand at camelin moraine realizes that matt has been uh you know she's he's got this dagger and she does what she can with her healing power to remove this taint of Shatter Logoth from him, but she can't totally. So she basically says, he's got to come to Tarvalon so that my sisters, you know, because if, if, if one, one Aes Sedai is, can be very powerful, but more than one working together can become even more powerful. We also learn that both Nynaeve and Egwene uh, can touch the true source, and they are also going to end up going to Tarvalon to learn to be Aes Sedai. Well, at this point, Loyal warns Moraine of a threat to the eye of the world. This is a pool of Sidene that was untouched by the Dark One's influence. So Sidene is what the male, uh, the men Aes Sedai, that's the half of the source that they can touch. And it was tainted by the Dark One and it makes all the men Aes Sedai go crazy. But there is a pool of it in the eye of the world that is, as this says, untouched by the Dark One's influence. Um, so she realizes that the Dark One uh, basically 
has plans to what they, they, they the, the warning is that it's, he's going to blind the eye of the world. And she realizes that they have to go there now. They, they can't go to Tarvel and they have to go there. That's where the threat is. They have to start, stop the dark one and his minions from doing whatever, whatever it is he's going to do at the eye of the world. And they travel there through these, uh, mystical passageways through another world called the ways, which are corrupted by a dark and evil wind called Machin Shin that seems to be alive. And that's a big adventure as they go through the ways. And anyway, they find the eye of the world. It's something that's, that's, that's in the blight. It's something that you can't just go to. You have to, it's, it's revealed to you by uh, this guy called the green man who is a dude who's twice as tall as an ogier and he's made out of plants and he protects the eye of the world. And you have to have great need to, uh, to find so for the green man to want to show you where the eye is. Uh, but that happens. Uh, but then they find they're confronted. They are followed there by two of the forsaken who have gotten free from the dark ones, prison, Aganor and Balthamel. There's a big fight. It's revealed that Rand can touch the true source. He ends up fighting who he thinks is the dark one or Baalzaman as they call him or Shaitan. Shaitan is the true name and no one should ever say the dark one's name or else call evil down upon them. Rand uses the, the, the one power to defeat Baalzaman or who he thinks is Baalzaman. I think we learn later at some point that that's, that's not obviously who it is. And we end the book with Moraine basically telling us the reader. She doesn't, she doesn't announce it to anybody, but uh, telling us that Rand is the actual true dragon reborn. This is one of these books that the first book is really good, but having gone six or seven, eight, nine, however many books into it already at some point, I know what's coming. And all of these characters go through such changes. The, the, the Matt Cawthon that's in book six, for example, is nothing like the Matt Cawthon that is in book one. That's, you could say the same for pretty much every one of these characters. And there's such a, a journey. Yeah, I said it, that each one of these characters go on. And it's just, it's such a sweeping epic that I just, I'm, I'm, I'm trying, I'm so excited about the show, but I don't understand how they're going to do the show quite yet. Because for example, uh, season one is what's coming out in November and they just released uh, at New York comic-con. They released uh, some casting news about this, this girl who has been cast to play Elaine Tracond, the princess of Andor, the daughter of Queen Morghese and the heir to the throne. But they say we're not going to see her until season two. Well, that means that season one is not going to encompass the entire first book, which just blows me away. And I can't imagine, I, I have to imagine that season one is going to have to end with Moraine uh, proclaiming, or, or at least us as the audience, knowing that Rand Althor can touch the one power and that he is the dragon reborn. But all of that happens after we meet Elaine. So I just, I'm just really excited to see how they're going to pull this off on TV. And I'm really excited to read even more of these books because it just, it is so good. You you fall in love with these characters and there's there's little like there's these little funny in jokes that uh, throughout this first book, whenever one of the three boys is dealing with a, a, a pretty girl, you know, maybe and 
they'll they'll like Rand will be like, I wish Perrin was here. He knows what to say to pretty girls. And then Perrin on his own, he'll he'll be talking to a girl and he'll think to himself, I wish Rand were here. He knows how to talk to pretty girls. You know, they all think that each other know what they're doing when it comes to girls. And, and you know, ultimately, this is one of those books about the hero, the the farm boy who's destined to save the world. But instead of just them saying, hey, uh, farm boy, you are prophesized to save the world. And he's like, ah, I don't really want to. And they're like, yeah, come on. And he's like, all right, let's go. Let's go save the world. You know, there it just it takes uh, quite a different route to get to that point, to get him to accept who he is. And even then, he doesn't quite act like the hero that you expect him to as the as the series goes along. And again, uh, I've read a lot of fantasy novels in my day. And uh, this by far is my absolute favorite series. And again, I've never finished it. And I'm hoping to finish it this time around. What about you? Have you read The Eye of the World? Have you completed The Wheel of Time? Are you looking forward to The Wheel of Time show on Prime? Let me know. I don't know if I will do anything like uh, try to compare the show to the book once the show comes out. But, you know, you never know what might happen. But let me know your thoughts. Hit me up on Twitter at at Stephen or else, or send me an email feedback at just another fanboy. And we'll, we'll talk, talk about it. All right. Until then I'm spent. I'm done. I'm tired. So I'm going to wrap this up. We'll come back next time. It'll probably take me another two months to listen to the second book. Uh, but we'll come back after that and we'll talk about more in this series until then. My name is Steven and I'm just another fanboy. Be nice to each other. Bye-bye, Daddy. Bye-bye, Daddy. Good job.